0: Good morning, Grace. Our scripture reading today is in the book of Jude. It's the second last book in the Bible, if you didn't know, so go to Revelation and hop one back, you'll find it. It's only like one page, though, so don't go too far back, you'll miss it entirely. We are going to read the entire book of Jude, uh, which is only 25 verses, so... This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instinct tells them, and so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds billowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubtly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, turning up, like, uh, turning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done, and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating division amongst you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time we get to share with our brothers and sisters as we worship you. Lord, we thank you for the safety you gave us on the roads to get here. And Lord, we ask that during this time you would focus our hearts and minds on you and what you would have in your word to share with us. Lord, let us take it with us, let it uh, edify our lives, let it build us up, and and let us be drawn closer to you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: After the Christmas season, my wife asked me, what is it that the Lord is leading you to speak on? And I commented to her that I feel the Lord is leading us to do a study in the book of Jude. You want to know what the first things that came out of her mouth? Hey, Jude. (laughs) Spiritually speaking, anyway, I'm sure. (laughs) No, this book is not a authorship of the Beatles back in the 1960s. No, not at all. But what is interesting about the book is a couple of things. Number one, you'll notice that as you read through it, and as our study continues on, there are triads. What do you mean by that? there There are statements that prove a point that the writer Jude puts together, and he has like three different statements concerning that issue. We'll get to them more and more, but this morning we're only going to spend our time in the first two verses. Yes, this is not going to be a quick study. Some will be two verses, some will be three or four verses, but we're going to take our time through this. And now if you've already closed your Bibles, I invite you to turn them back open to the book of Jude. And and a thought process may very well come to you. Why are we doing this study in the book of Jude that is such a short resource? Well, you've got a good question, and I trust I can give you a good answer. What I see in the book of Jude reflects not just in what Jude wrote during that time, but also in our own society today. For as you remember, as Pastor Steve read, Jude in chapter 1, well known chapter, verse 3 and verse 4, he says, I wanted to write to you concerning our great salvation, but I've also recognized the fact that individuals have crept in, they've snuck in, thought processes, philosophies have snuck in that is drawing the sheep away from the fold. That was evident there, and it's evident in our own society. So one of the purposes of my study through this particular book is to at least strengthen us, encourage us, and equip us for how can we stand as we have a defense of the faith, how can we stand in the midst of a society that's not interested. So that's the purpose behind it. Well, we're in verse 1 and 2 this morning. And uh, just let me reread those for you in case you've already forgotten them or you're already starting to nod off in your slumber of righteousness. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. If by chance you do much traveling in your lifestyle, whether it's by, if you will, mass transit such as a bus or a train or even an airplane, you will find out that periodically there is this statement being made that if you see something suspicious... Say something to someone so that we can remain safe. See it, say it, safe it. And I think that's, in reality, those are to safeguard ourselves from individuals that maybe be bent toward destruction. I mean, let's face it, for example, if you see someone on a plane with a bomb on their lap, you want to say something. It's for your own safety that you do that. Well, thus that's the matter, the urgency, if you will, of the book of Jude. And it's a reality, is a matter of urgency in every generation. In fact, Jude is writing because we become aware of those who, by their conflicting voices, plunge God's people into confusion and chaos the ones that the issue that Jude is addressing here, as you look at verse 3 and verse 4, is not an issue of the world suspending or at least contracting onto the church. No, it's an internal struggle. For he says, Jude says, people have come in to, this, to the fellowship. And, and the dynamic thing of this is that He's not calling, he's not talking about what's coming from the outside of the church, buffeting it. No, it's something more sinister than that. It's the idea, if you will, that confusion and chaos that emerges from a collapse of the conviction of the hearts of people that once believed in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ are now being led astray to even doubt what it's all about. I became more and more aware of this collapse, if you will, by an article that was sent to me by one of our church people. The title caught my eye. It says this, the Methodist church turns from Christianity in favor of Marxism. And the thrust of the article is this. In it, it says that they are to cease using the terms husband and wife. And in fact, it says that ministers are to avoid using such of those articles because they are afraid that it conveys an assumption that may not be a reality for many. Well, as the article continues, with this kind of thinking comes the accusation that if one abides by the words of Scripture, that person is destructive And is destroying the unity. And it is with this kind of thinking that the true church of Christ needs to stand up and say, You ready? The Bible is the Bible. The truth is the truth. Now, if you wish to continue that way, that's your choice. But we'll stand on the principles of the word of God. That's what Jude was facing. That's what he's writing about. And in fact, even today, I mean, it's not far before you realize that just in the first two verses, it's pretty expedient. And that's our task this morning. Well, first of all, we're introduced to the writer. He gives his name, Jude. And he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ the brother of James. Well, that should cause us at least to become interested in who is this one? Who is Jude? Well, if you were to turn to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 53, I'll give that to you for homework if you should do that later. It is there that you find his name. And the verse reads something like this. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, coming into his own hometown, and he taught in their synagogue so that the individuals that were there were astonished at what he had to say. And in fact, they began to say, where did this man get this wisdom and and these mighty works? Now note something as it continues. It says this. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this the the son of Mary? Is not this also? Aren't their brothers James and Simon and Judas with us? Not only that, they go on to say, and not all his sisters, are they not with us? And where did this man get these things? Judas Now, I really feel that the book of Jude is a shortening of the word of the the son, if you will, of Mary and and of Joseph and the half-brother of Jesus is shortened to Jude. Because we dare not think that the one who betrayed Jesus is the one who wrote this particular book. His name is Jude. It's like my official name is Douglas. But you all call me Doug. In high school, I was known as Dude. (laughs) For whatever. The same person. It's Jude. The writer of this book is Jude. And if you go back to the Gospel of Mark, specifically in chapter 3 and in verse 21, you'll notice that on this occasion, even when the family of Jesus was thinking that he is out of his mind. And they come there to try to rescue him. They come there to try to take him away because of the things that he's saying. But then you begin to realize that it wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that his family members began to believe. They were, if you, were, if you will, converted. They were transformed. So much so as that's what the transformation, as Jude now says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I am the brother of James, but I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 4, we get to that Lord willing next week, he says that Jesus Christ is his master and Lord. Interesting terminology that has happened when an individual comes to trust Christ as his only Savior. In fact, there's a statement that someone wrote concerning this, and one short sentence he makes an amazing statement for, he says, no one, no one is too privileged to, if you will, be exempt from the need to be converted. No one. Just because Jude." Grew up in the household of Jesus, did not give him a free pass to glory. In fact, you might even remember that Mary, the mother of Jesus, even bowed and called him Lord. She too needed to be converted. And here's something this is going to startle many of you. I hope not all of you, but some of you are going to be startled. We all need to be converted. We cannot go our own way. And thus we see in this opening statement, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Now I know where your minds are going because we're introduced now from the author to the, if you will, the readers. Who are they? Here's our second triad. The first triad is verse 1. Jude, servant of Jesus, brother of James. In fact, let me just add this to you. If you knew someone very important, would you say, well, I'm the husband of Nancy. Who's Nancy? But if you knew... Someone of fantastic world-renowned individual, wouldn't you call that? Wouldn't you wouldn't you pull that card? <laughs> hey, you know Jesus? I'm his brother. I'm his half-brother. But Jude doesn't do that. Isn't that amazing? That he says, No, I'm the servant of him now. And James is my brother. Now, who's James? Well, you go to Acts chapter 15, again, more homework for you to read, and you'll find out that James is, if you will, the leader. He's the number one kingpin of the church in Jerusalem, because in Acts chapter 15, James sets the record straight when he says, no, an individual does not have to be circumcised to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's James that did that. He's also the one who wrote an epistle for us, if you will, five chapters. You probably have already written it and read it. And so we have Judas. Jude, the servant of Jesus, the brother of James. So now we're introduced to the readers. And one of the things you're going to miss is this, is there's no geographical area to which it is penned. Paul in his epistles he writes Galatians to those who are of the church of Galatia to those who are the church of Ephesus to those who are the church of Philippi to those who are the church of Thessalonica but here in this short treatise all we are listened all that Jude lists is characteristics to those who are called of God to those who are beloved of God, and those who are kept for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how you can remember that? Think of it this way. Central Bank of Kenya. Called, beloved, kept. Central Bank of Kenya. Which, by the way, reminds me of this. We're having a problem in our missions to be able to get funds to our missionary, Julius Mathungi, The Bank of Kenya, the Central Bank of Kenya is refusing monies from us to give to our missionary. And we are trying our best, at least the missions committee is trying their best to find another way in order to get these valuable funds to our missionary. So you can remember that. Central Bank of Kenya, they're corrupt. But here, this is who we are. Isn't it amazing through the scriptures that believers, followers of Jesus Christ are referred to in a number of different ways. We're referred to as brothers and sisters. We're referred to, if you will, as saints. Some of you, I know, struggle with that. We're referred to as saints, set-apart ones. We're also referred to as the bride of Christ. But here... Jude uses three phrases to highlight who we are. So it's our good duty if we just pay attention to what he's writing. First of all, those who are called. Those who are called. Now, this is thin ice, but it's well worth stepping on. This is not, in my opinion, This is not in reference to the fact that if you can't, you can't be saved unless God calls you. No. I refuse that. That's one of the doctrines that I will give my life to to the fact that it is wrong. Because why? Why? Well, I think there's a misunderstanding of that term called. In fact, if you will, this is this word here called, is is more than just being invited. And and we get a clearer understanding of what this word really means if we would take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10. Please do do that. Romans chapter 10. We're going to pick up the narrative at verse 5. Romans 10, verse 5, down through to verse 17. I'm I'm going to read it. It, it. It needs a lot more than just me reading it. It needs a whole sermonic presentation on it. But just follow along of what it's saying here. In verse 5, we pick up the narrative. For it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments, shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will send into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everybody will be what? Will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Called. That literally means the call of the word of God going out. And it is then the reception of an individual through the word of God to come to know and to understand and trust that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's our word. Called. Individuals who have trusted Jesus Christ. That's who Jude is writing to individuals who have trusted in Christ alone by faith alone in what Christ has done for us in fact it's interesting I found this quote when it does say the center and core of the gospel is what God has done not what I've done it's what he has done and so as Jude pens these words all of a sudden we find ourselves, hey, this was us. We had individuals tell us about the gospel. We may not have reacted the very first time. If you're like me, I didn't react the very first time. But all of a sudden, the words continued to come. And and whether you're driving in a car, whether you, you, no matter where you are, all of a sudden you recognize the fact that, hey, I am a sinner. I need the Savior. And so we call out, Lord, I'm the wanderer. I'm in need of you. I'm the fainting one. It is these who Jude is writing to. He's making a declaration that if you are in Jesus Christ, he he calls it called. But the scripture says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so here we have this wonderful introduction, if you will, as you look at called, beloved, and kept, what you have are the three facets of what we call salvation. Past, present, future. Justified, sanctified, glorified. Are you all there with me? That's what we have here. In other words, he's covering the bases, if you will. These who are called, that's to whom this letter is addressed. Now, secondly, these individuals are beloved in God. In other words, it addresses the issue of the sphere into which these people have come. Oh, I wish I had the time, but... but, you go on and, and mark down First John 4.10, for it says there, Behold the love of God. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us first and gave His Son, if you will, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's amazing. You are beloved in God, a love that stretches across, if you will, the Old and New Testament. There's not a sphere that can stop it. Isn't that what Paul says to us in Romans chapter 8? For nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Where the demons, forces, darkness, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's here and now, by the way. That's what we are experiencing in our growth, if you will, of what's called sanctification—the growth of our Christian life. Well, all of a sudden, more and more, each and every day, maybe each and every year, our, our lives, we we recognize the fact that Christ is more to me than he was last year. It, he has more of me. We get all of him, by the way, in justification, but he needs more of me. He needs more of my time. He needs more of my love. He needs more of my purpose, for that's who he is. I guess the, the closest thing I can get to picture, and I need pictures once in a while, so that I can understand something. This, this thing called beloved in God. All I can envision is this, a shepherd going out and picking up a lamb. And he just doesn't carry it in his arms. He places it across his shoulders. In other words, he's bearing the weight. And he takes that lamb back to the place of safety. Back to the fold. Beloved of God. To think, as Jesus said, he'd leave 99 to come get you. Isn't that an amazing thought? I come get you. I'm not going to leave you to your own. I am going to carry you. Come unto me. All ye that are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. Yes. Yes. But then the one about kept. Central Bank of Kenya, <laughs> called, beloved, and kept. The keeping power of God is important here, and we're not, I can't delay upon it, because. but you'll recognize the, the, the verb keep is evidenced in a number of places in this short letter. Notice in verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Which means that once an individual becomes, if you will, a a child of living God, you just don't sit back and say, okay, God, you do it all. No, there are things we need to do. For instance, read the word. Pray to him. Have fellowship. Aren't you glad you're here today? Oh man, that's weak, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're here today? Why? Because it helps us to keep ourselves in the love of Christ. When we look back, and, and here's Will, who's here, he's been struggling. He's here this morning. Mike back there, Lord bless his heart, he's having surgery on Tuesday to repair two broken bones that are connected to his ankle. He's here. Doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't that excite you to know that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think? And He keeps us. I love what the Apostle Paul writes for us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, whereby we have been given the Holy Spirit who seals us until the day of redemption. Shrink wrapped, if you will but in such a way that he's not going to let you go. He's kept you in his promise that one day we'll be with him. Past, present, future. Jude writes for us. Oh, we must move along because our time is fleeting and so is your patience. But notice verse 2. Here's his prayer. May mercy... Peace and love be multiplied to you. Mercy. Oh. The best way that I can describe mercy is this that God does not give us things that we ultimately deserve. <laughs> we deserve nothing. But mercy is just so wonderful. That even the self-righteous Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, writes in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 when he says, To me, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy. He didn't think he needed mercy. He thought he was in perfect shape until God showed him that he was in the need of mercy on his way to the road of Damascus. And there he hears the voice of Jesus Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's difficult to kick against the goads. Oh, I wish I had a half an hour to explain that. But I don't. But it's mercy. When when have you really stopped to consider the mercy of God in our lives? To realize if it wasn't for his mercy, all of us deserve a Christless eternity in hell. But he gives us mercy. And he gives us grace. I love the illustration. One old saint told me this way. The the train of salvation rides on on two rails. The rail of grace and the rail of mercy. I can't think of a better illustration. Mercy. Now it's very important that not only these readers think of their relationship in Jesus Christ to themselves, but you have to understand that there's going to be a call. As we saw in verse 4, he's going to make an appeal. But before he makes his appeal, that we are to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, don't forget mercy. Yes, individuals have walked away from the grace, from the truth of the scriptures, but I'm here to tell you, dear people, and all of you, if you just hold your hands up and go just about like that, guess what? That's about as much grace that keeps you from falling away. If it wasn't for God where would you be if it wasn't for his mercy and his grace where would you be and even when we come to having conflict with individuals who maybe have doubted the scriptures and are starting to walk away we still show them mercy by praying for them by encouraging them by hopefully bringing them back by the truth of the scriptures mercy Well, the next one is peace. You know, Elizabeth Elliot, what a fantastic writer she was. And she wrote this, peace is a weapon given to us by God because the enemy hates it because he wants us to be stressed and occupied. Peace is a weapon from God. Well, let's, Let me highlight a couple of places here where peace is made mention of in the Gospels, in the Word of God. It says in Isaiah, my peace, you, you will keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. And then Jesus in John chapter 14, he says, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give, but the peace that I give you will sustain you. Peace. Peace in the midst of disruption. Peace in the midst, if you will, in the face of opposition. Peace. Mercy. Peace. The last one, love. If you want to know what love is all about, go to 1 Corinthians 13. You'll find out it's not some flowery experience that you have in your heart. Oh, 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 oh. I love the Detroit Lions. No! No. It's a kind of love that is actions. Because God loved me, I must love others. Because God loved me, I must love truth. I must be patient in truth. Well, that's what Jewett is writing for us here. Let me end with this, this morning, if I may. Mercy, peace, and love. But did you catch the closing statement, be multiplied to you? I, I thought about that. and And I said to myself, Isn't it great that God didn't create just one animal? Isn't it great that God didn't create just one fish? Isn't it great that God just didn't say, oh, the atmosphere, it only needs 15 stars. No. He filled the earth, as the song says, he filled the earth with food, with his glory. Why? Why? Because he's a God who multiplies. You remember in school when you first learned the principles of multiplication? Do they still teach that in school? Sometimes, huh? <laughs> it depends if you're awake or not, right, Everly? Yeah, you got it, you got it. Yeah. Two times two is what? Yeah, girl. Isn't it great that's how God does it? When he said to Adam and Eve, Fill the earth. Multiply. Fill the earth. We okay? What's going on? See, I just hear this buzzing in my ear. He's filling the earth with the buzz. (laughs) He's a multiplying God. And in fact, even in the church, he multiplies it with people come to know Christ. But in our lives, aren't you glad that mercy, peace, and love even become more and more? So much so that all that happens to us, that the peace of God may rule our hearts. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 describes it this way you can't even begin to understand it all. Amazing. Mercy, peace, and love. Did someone's uh, heart thing just go off? (laughs) I just wondered. You weren't told to get up and start walking again, were you, brother? You were, okay, well, we'll leave it at that. Thank God for Christmas gifts from your children. Get up and move. Whatever, Well... He says, I need to write to you because there's a problem. I'm going to appeal to you. But before I appeal to you of the problem, I want you to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. You know what Jude is doing? He's not setting himself as the example. He's setting himself as the same one who has experienced all that he wishes for those he's writing to. He who once thought Jesus was crazy now calls him, I'm his servant, and he's my master. I'm wonderful. Our study is going to take us a while, as you can see. But we trust you won't get bored. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the reason for writing. An in-depth study of verse 3 and 4. A reason for writing. And then I must tell you, after that, I'm going to be off for two weeks. Not because I'm going on vacation, but I'm having foot surgery. And so you will be blessed with a better preacher than me my son. He will cover the 28th, then he will cover the 1st in in, uh, February. And then, Lord willing, I'll be back for the 11th. I have to be, because he's going to be at camp. But I may be on crutches, if that's okay with y'all. I have no choice. May peace, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we find ourselves in the very descriptive terms that the writer, Jude, your servant, you're his master, has written for us. He's called us to remember our past days of when you met us and saved us. And how you now are strengthening us, beloved, carrying us. And how one day, as we all are kept by Jesus until the day of redemption. But Lord, I pray this as he prayed for those to whom this letter got to. May your mercy, peace, and love.